This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we have been, uh, we just, last week we finished up a series called the Fixer Upper Series. We were kind of comparing a physical restoration, remodeling, since that's what we're doing with our new campus, to some spiritual issues and how God is really, the work that he does in our lives is really kind of a, a remodeling, a restoration. He does that kind of work in our lives. He tears things down and he, and he builds things up. Well, in, in, during this week, I had a chance to talk to many of you uh, and several of you, the same kind of conversation came up about how that renovation is going in your life. And, uh, and, and that prompted me to kind of pull together what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, and so I'm just going to frame that up. And what we're going to talk about is exa- exactly that, a, a tug of war. You see, here we spent eight weeks talking about spiritual renovation, the fact that God wants to work in our lives. He's, he's deconstructing some pieces, moving others, and rebuilding p- completely new ones. And, and we're a part of that process. And it seems as though the more that we talk about that, so, and by the way, thanks, so many of you came up and said that the, the series was helpful and practical and, and made a difference. And yes, some of you think that we have your homes bugged. And uh, we do. But, uh, but no, I mean, but you know what, as you said that, we all know as a, as a staff, all of us, as we plan these messages, um, we know that God's working and leading us so that what we're talking about makes a difference in all of our lives. It hasn't just been touching your lives. It's been touching ours as well, mine. In fact, it got me to thinking a little bit about what it was like when I first came to faith. Some of, some of you know I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but as a junior high student, I went to a meeting, I heard the gospel, and I trusted Christ. And immediately, something started to change in my life. I, I, I saw things differently. I, I kind of knew that there's this... Uh, kind of a secret agenda behind what was going on. There was a battle between good and evil, not just around me, but inside me. And every time I would hear something more about what Jesus taught, it seemed to kind of add, answer another question in my mind. Maybe if you're a relatively new believer, you've experienced that as well. Every time I would read about how he viewed me, it made a difference in my life. I remember learning about ideas, like in John 1 when I... I heard that he saw me as his child. John 15, that I'm, I'm a friend of God. Or I'm an heir with Christ, from Romans 8. I'm one with, I'm, I'm of the same spirit of Christ. I'm chosen, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, from Ephesians. I'm set free, Galatians said. I'm a new creature. All of those truths, as they trickled into my, into my heart and life, as I heard about how Jesus viewed me, it started to change how I viewed myself and the world around me. I was being introduced to spiritual renovation. I remember this verse. I'd been saved a couple of months, and uh, I was having trouble remembering all the books of the Bible. It's a little confusing when you're new at this whole Christianity thing, you know, you can't even use the table of contents. There's two tables of contents in the Bible. That's not fair, you know, and I didn't understand any of it. Sometimes I doubted, and I remember learning uh, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In fact, that's where we landed. That's how we ended last week. This 
confidence that we can have that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you want to work with him and engage with him as he tries to renovate you and I, renovate you to be more like himself. That regardless of the progress you feel like you're making right now, he will finish the job. And we say, thank goodness, because this week I felt like I was going backwards. You ever have a week where you felt like you're going backwards? <laughs> a month? <laughs> Maybe there was a year. There's a decade there where I felt like I was going backwards. <clears throat> yeah. Now, I happen to remember the Bible study I was sitting in when we started studying the book of Romans. I didn't know what I know now, but that was the biggie. This is theological, like, wow. And, and we're going verse by verse through this book, uh, this, this letter of Paul. But I remember we got to Romans 6. And if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Romans 6. We're going to be in Romans 7 today, but as an introduction to this process, open your Bibles to Romans 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we will project it up here. But it's always good to see it in your copy of the Scriptures if you have one. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. He says, and again, we're coming into the middle of a conversation, uh, so it'll take us a minute to kind of come up to speed. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What he says is, even though our sin was bad, grace was stronger, and uh, so grace always wins. So now the question is, well, maybe then we don't have to worry about sin. He says, no, 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 that's not the case. By no means. We... We are those who have died to sin. He's talking about a positional truth. When Jesus died, we were identified with him. Jesus died to sin. We died with him. His estimation of our relationship to sin is that we're as good as a dead man. Those, those, those responsibilities are broken. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, right about now, as a junior higher sitting in a Bible study, I started to get a little squirmy. I mean, I love believing that when Jesus died, he died for me. I died in his place. That the, the burden of sin, that the penalty that I was going to have to pay, he paid in my place. I love that truth. But then he says, how can we live in it any longer? And unfortunately, I, I, was able, I would have been able, if someone would ask me, I'd, I'd be able to tell them how. Because <laughs> I was still doing it. And it troubled me. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Yes, yay, I like that truth, that's great. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Well, I'm not too uncomfortable, I mean, that's future. Someday I want to live a new life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Yay, that's great. I'm excited about that. Good news. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Wouldn't that be nice? Those were almost the exact words that popped through my mind when we read this verse. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? I was a teenage boy. I was a teenage boy who was aware of all the ridiculous, silly, as well as sinful thoughts that pump through an impulsive teenage boy's mind. I was aware of it. He says that we, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. 
And for one of the first times in my life, I remember saying, I wish, please. Which, by the way, that by itself caught me by surprise. Before I trusted Christ as my Savior, I had never remembered ever praying to be less sinful. I wasn't really concerned. In fact, I was trying to get better at it. So something was changing. I knew that something was changing in my life. But it didn't seem to be exactly what I was reading about. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died, and he's talking about our identification with Jesus, has been set free from sin. And suddenly, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Because if I'm honest, I have not been sitting there in that little Bible study set free from sin. It just wasn't me. I, I wish it were true, but that's not what I was experiencing. Maybe some of you can identify. This is church talk, Jesus talk. Oh, yep, yay. And yet, but honestly... Set free from sin. Is that your experience? It wasn't mine. I guess if I were going to kind of try to portray what my life was like at that moment, it would be kind of like, and I guess the, 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 when I think of it, when I think of my life, I think about you know, driving down the street in a car. because it's progress. I'm moving along. And I'm going along, and, and there are lanes that I'm supposed to be in, and then there are lanes that I'm not supposed to be in. Kind of like that, you know, those high occupancy lanes that they said do not enter. And you see all these people, you know, in, in them by themselves. And anyway, so I'm in a lane. And, and now that I've, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, I realize this is the lane I want to be in. And as I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, there, there's a kind of a, a change and a lane goes off in this way. And I just kind of go off on that lane. What, wait, what did I just do? It's kind of like the way I drive now. What did I just do? You know, I'm thinking about something else, and where am I? What, where am I going next? Right? Okay, a few of us are a little like that. And all of a sudden, I take this turn, and, and, it, and it takes me off the freeway. It's kind of like going through Center City. Off the freeway, the minute you're off the freeway, you're in like, like no man's land. It just feels dangerous. There's hoodlums and slums, and, and, and you just, uh-oh. It's kind of like one of those jungle scenes, those eyes looking at you. Ooh. And as I'm driving down this road, somebody from my old life, somebody that I, hey, hey, Mike, hey, I didn't think you were coming around here anymore. Ooh, I didn't know, I just, I didn't mean, I, I don't know how I got, what am I doing here? Mike, hey, pull over. And like, why? And, and before you know it, there I am, you know, hanging out with old friends. What am I doing here? And then, of course, I get back in my car, and I get back up on the highway, and I get back in the right lane, and, and while I'm in that lane, I'm thinking to myself, why did I do that? Why, why do I do that? Oh! And so you say, okay. Stay in the lane. Stay in the lane. Stay in the lane. Hey, how you guys doing? And off I go. I don't know about you. Most of you are pretty smart. You probably figured this out very quickly. Not me. I can't tell you how many countless excursions I take off. Pulling off the road. What's wrong with the lane I'm in? I don't want to go back to where I was. I wish I was set free from this, and yet something is happening. There's this tug of war that I feel. And I remember thinking to myself, maybe I'm more broken than I knew. 
maybe I'm really not cut out for this whole religious thing. I mean, I was young, but I was actually pretty good at sinning. Maybe that's really what I'm cut out to do. I was in turmoil. But our study of Romans continued, and we went into Romans 7. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to Romans 7, verse 10. Now, here's the Apostle Paul. Been a new believer, not really that long, but already he's one of my heroes. This guy rocks. Man, he calls it like he sees it. He writes this in Romans 7.10. I found, he says, that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Go figure. That's kind of what I felt like. I'm driving down the road, and now that I'm in this, this lane, I know that the signs that say that are bad. And instead of helping me stay off of those, it almost makes them more attractive. Imagine that, a teenage boy that does what he's told not to do. I remember having conversations with God. You know, you almost would have been better off not to tell me what not to do, because you know me. He says, yeah, I do know you. But it's not just teenage boys, is it? Isn't it, isn't it interesting how we all have something inside us, that the minute we, we hear what we should do, we're tempted to do something different, including at church, which might be why over the last eight weeks, as we talked about spiritual renovation, some of you experienced less than what you were hoping for, less than what we talked about. In fact, sometimes we identified really specific steps you could take, and you went home and forgot about them as quickly as you could. And then you say, now here you are, why do I do that? Shame on me. Boy, I'm a bad person. I'm a bad Christian. Oh, if people knew, if the people sitting next, and off we go. So it's interesting to listen to what Paul writes here. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, his rule, actually brought death. Wait a minute. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. It's almost like it works in the opposite. Now, I realize none of you want to raise your hand or give a testimony, but some of us, some of you have experienced the same thing. Paul goes on. Skipping down to Romans 15. As we studied this passage as a teenager, I remember, I, I don't remember hearing another thing in that whole little Bible study. I just kept looking at, in fact, in my first Bible, this is underlined. Back then, I, for a long time, I had a whole set of green pens. So, so a lot of my early notes in my first Bible are all written in green pen, green ballpoint pen. And this is underlined. It's real scratchy. <laughs> It was before anybody told me you're supposed to get a little Bible bookmark and make straight lines. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Oh, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. If you're looking for confirmation that you're not a good person, church is a great place to go. 
Because the more truth we expose ourselves to, the more true we see it to be true. I'm not all that in a bag of chips. I'm a mess. The reason this is so important, it's important for those of us who are newly saved, new believers, but it's almost more important for those of us who've done this for a while because this piles up. Now there's more truth that I'm ignoring. There's more things that I know better. There's, I know more. At my age, there's a lot of things I know that are bad now that I didn't, I, at least I had excuse of ignorance before. Now I know better. So the only good thing that comes out of this is I, I have to agree that God's law is, is dead on. But me, I don't understand why this is happening. Hmm. So on your sermon notes, you've got little, little characters. I, I actually have some up here. Yes, if you want, when you go home, you can cut yours off and do this too. with your sermon notes, maybe you want to, uh, since you're not going to cut it off and put it on your finger, they make great finger puppets if you put a little piece of tape across the back. But anyway, how about this? What if you just put your finger on, because it sounds like Paul's a little schizophrenic here, doesn't it? It, it sounds like he, he needs medicine. He needs therapy. Actually, Actually, sometimes that's how I feel as a follower of Jesus. I feel kind of like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but Robert Louis Stevenson, the author of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, he was raised in a very strict Scottish Calvinist home. And it's so obvious that here he is writing this novel, this thriller, but every believer reads it and thinks, I know exactly the battle that he's talking about. This awareness that there is this thing inside me that wants what God hates. And at the same time, there is part of me that wants to do what God wants. In fact, if we were to back up, you almost want to put your finger on who you think is talking. Right? So, so I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I don't, if I do what I don't want to do, I don't know how to do this one. I agree with the law that it's good. Either he's a schizophrenic, and that means that I'm a schizophrenic, or all of us can identify with this struggle. And the irony that I want to bring out is, after we finish an eight-week series that many of us have said was very practical and very helpful, it actually makes it worse. Isn't that just, that just doesn't seem right. Paul identifies, I think, the same exact experience, but he might help us to understand something. How would you explain this? Besides thinking to yourself, I'm sure they all have to figure out I'm the one who messed up. 
most of my life, I always felt like I, I had missed the instructions. I felt like I, felt like I arrived and so they'd had a meeting and explained everything before I got there. Because most of my life, I have felt a little clueless. Like, uh, what, what are we doing? Where are we going? Stand, sit. And, and you feel like, why isn't this working for me? I'm going to read on and see if we find some insight. It's pretty obvious to me that Paul is wrestling with this. And he's doing it for the sake of the believers in Rome. So he says this in verse 17. He says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But it is sin living in me. Aha. See, now, this is a skill that I learned as a teenage boy. Denial. What? what? Wasn't me. Wasn't me. Oh, it wasn't me. Like when my dad came home and the entire back of our house was charred from a fire. Burnt the entire eve, all the soffits, burnt them. Just the whole back of our white Florida house was black. And there was a molten, still warm pile of plastic goo smoldering. What happened? I, I don't know. I don't know. Wasn't me. I don't know. Right. Somebody just came along and built a fire next to our house. I, 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 yeah, they knew better. Sound, most of it sounds like that's what Paul's doing here. He says, ah, ah, you know what? It's not me. He's either making an excuse or he's making a diagnosis. And I tend to think it's the second, not the first. What he's saying to us is, wait a minute. It is me, but it's not me. Okay, that's not helpful at all. Let's go on. He says, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I want you to notice that he just differentiated between I myself, the real Paul, and sin living in him, as though sin were something different from the real him. Now, that's not what we experience, and yet that is what we know to be true theologically. 2 Corinthians 5 says that everybody who's put their faith in Christ has become a new creation, a new person who loves and serves God. That's what he was saying earlier. The things that I love. So what we're really wrestling with, because I knew as a teenage boy, I didn't normally feel too guilty about sin. And I definitely didn't hope to be less sinful. I was trying to get better and better at it. And then after I trusted Christ, the truth is, I found myself saying, I really don't want to do this. Wait a minute, who is this person talking in my head? I was a new creation. And if you've trusted Christ, regardless of how many times you have stumbled, regardless of how often you fail, if you, you tell me, but Mike, I, with tears you'll say, I, I really do want to please God. I'm going to tell you right now in front of all these witnesses, I totally believe you. I know that's true. The question is, how do we explain what we're experiencing? And how, if anything, what do we do about it? Paul goes on to wrestle with this. He says, for I know that good, in, it's, that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. That's twice now he has made a differentiation between him and then something else that's in him. Every Jew knew where he stood with a holy and righteous God. Anyone that you ask, practically, will admit, oh yeah, I'm a sinner, I make mistakes, I'm not up to God's standard. 
What he's saying is, I know that good doesn't come from that part of me. I know that. All of us would say that. Hey, oh, I'm not perfect. I mess up. But, but wait, that's not enough, is it? It's not satisfying. Well, I'm going to heaven someday, but in the meantime, I just keep making a total disaster out of my Christian life. I mean, hey, I'm not perfect. Is that satisfying? Not for the believer that loves Jesus. So now, again, he tries to describe his experience. Can you identify with Paul's words? For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, that I keep doing. I wish we had time this morning to talk more about the actual, the original language. The way it is in the Greek is so interesting. We add a few words to have, let it make a little bit more sense in English. But this idea, you know, the bad, I do. And the good, not. This I keep doing. This isn't a testimony about once when he struggled with sin. Don't you love those testimonies? I struggled with sin once. <laughs> Excuse me? Like five minutes ago, or like right now, pride and lying? I keep on doing. Let's read on. You see, he's describing something. I'm, I'm going to skip back to verses 8 and 11 because there's something here. There's, there's this kind of a... Uh, There's a, a bait and switch almost. It's almost like there's, there's me that loves God, and then there's this other thing going on, and for some reason he keeps winning instead of me, and I'm frustrated by it. If you flip back to verse, verse 8, I want you to notice that it says, but sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. It's almost as though this other thing has a mind, has a will, has a desire, has an agenda. says the same thing in verse 11. For sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. What an interesting word. Tricked me and put me to death. Go back a little bit for just a second. Yeah. Look again at verse 15. I don't understand what I do, for I want to do what I do not do, but I hate what I do. That's a lot of eyes. That's what makes him sound schizophrenic. But I think a little bit later in this process, just a few verses down, if I go the right way. That what's going on here is that even though Paul is talking about I but I, I but I, the trick is really a change in the pronoun. He starts out by saying I but I, I but I, but not really I, not like this, I but I, I but I, but not really I, it's it. He says it's in my flesh. So now suddenly they don't both get the same pronoun. It's I, Paul, and it. My flesh, my sinful nature. 
So, he says in verse 21, I find this law at work. And, and law, what he's saying is, this is consistent, happens all the time, with great frequency. You can almost count on it. I find this at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now that's different from I but I, isn't it? The truth is, when we first experience this, that's what it feels like. I but I, I but I. Ah, what's wrong with me? Paul's saying, stop, there is nothing wrong with you. The problem is it. Really? I can blame someone else? Yes. It's always good to have somebody to blame. Now listen to him kind of unpack this. For in my, and, and notice how he's now defining each of these a little bit more, right? For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. We, we ought to pause there for a minute. Because in this tug of war, one of the, the most frequent attacks that the enemy lodges, and, and I'm not talking about the devil at this point. Honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. For most of us, the devil doesn't have to lift a finger for us to be vanquished. We do it all ourselves. He's got bigger fish to fry. You see, he's already got an inside man. It's our flesh. And actually, this makes sense. We've talked about this before. But when, when we were born, most of the genetic makeup it was all there. Some of us, when our babies were born, we, we thought they seemed aggressive or they, we thought they seemed shy. And so what we didn't know, they were, they were like that from day one, right? We recognize those traits. By the time a child is three, 80 to 90% of their personality and character is formed, right? You do realize that during all that formational time, we are non believers. Our spiritual life is dead. There's one focus that every baby has. Me. Babies are the original Lord of the Ring. This is my world. Now, the world starts out this big, but, and, and what happens as they get bigger is the ring gets bigger, but the, the message is still the same. I want to be Lord of this space. I want to control everything that happens, and I want it all to please me. And then, no wonder, parents, you know, we, we're not always appreciated, right? Employers, teachers... There's something selfish about our flesh. I don't know how old you were when you trusted Christ. I was probably about 14 or 15. I had 14 years of every day, every waking moment, plus even while I'm sleeping and dreaming, focused on flesh and serving me. I was Lord of my ring. When I trusted Christ, the spiritual part of me came alive. He's in there now. And Jesus said, this guy, he's as good as dead. The new you, Mike, is what's going to carry through to eternity, and you love me. And I say, yes, I do. I do. I go to Bible studies instead of dances. That's messed up. I must love you. But I want you to notice that that other part of us is not gone. Not yet. And the influence that it has is easy to underestimate. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work where? 
in me, waging war against the law of my mind. There again, see, there's, there's this in me and in the law of my mind. He's, what he's saying is in my mind, I, I really want to honor God, but it makes me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. There's this thing that is just capturing me, and I go back and I forth and I back and I forth. Oh. Now, if you want to understand why this is so effective, I want to take you all the way back to one of the best shows on TV 25 years ago, Mission Impossible. I'm not talking about with Tom Cruise, okay? That was a whole different flavor. I'm talking about the one that was on TV, and I was going to play a little snippet, but I'm just going to spare you, because you can all hear it in your heads. You can hear it. And if some of you don't know what I'm talking about, wow, do I feel old. Um, well, there's always Google. Now, one of the, one of the best storylines in, in Mission Impossible, they did it all the time. I love it. They sneak in when somebody's sleeping, which is... I don't know what, the, what that thing was in that little, but yeah, I could use that. I, I could put it. So they, they knock the person out, they sneak in, they put a tiny little microscopic speaker in the guy's ear. He doesn't know it's there, but now they can speak in his head, and he doesn't know that it's somebody else. Talk about messing with somebody. I do want to point out that that whole scheme wouldn't work if he knew they had done that. Stop it. It only works when you don't realize it's there. It's kind of like, kind of like my illustration driving along in my spiritual life. Drive along. I'm in the, I'm in the God lane. And then, then this thought occurs to me. You know, I haven't been down there with those friends in a long time. Oh, actually, there's their exit. I'm going to just swing off. Just swinging off doesn't mean we have to do anything. And before you know it, I'm down there. When I'm down there, I'm driving through, and they're saying, Mike, hey, how you doing? Hey, I thought you weren't coming around here anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm asking myself, why? How did this happen? But if you could rewind the tape. God Lane. Man, how is everybody down there? Stop. Who's talking? If I think that Normally, that would be, that's my, that was my idea. If that's what you believe, no wonder we're so tormented. What if Paul were to tell you that that voice that said, you know, it's been a while and you deserve a good stiff drink. Or, nobody can be expected to live without sex. Or, look, you work hard, they don't pay you enough, as far as I'm concerned, that money is yours. As long as nobody finds out, yours. <laughs> or, you know what? What they don't know won't hurt them. You don't have to share it. Whatever it is. That thought, it could actually be coming from someone else. Paul says, it is coming from someone else. He's still in the backseat of your car. Oh, God, you didn't know somebody was back there. Hi, how you doing? Who are you? I'm, I'm the old you. Get out. Well, then you'd be dead. That would be a problem. Oh, okay, well, uh, you got to stop doing that uh, because so I'm just trying to help out. Hey, I'm, I'm in this with you, buddy. I'm, I'm just trying to help out. Okay, you want me to be quiet? I'll be quiet. I'll be quiet. No problem. Driving down. This is the exit, though. I said be quiet. 
I'm, okay, fine. Just, man, she, oh, wow, look at that. I, have they, is that money always sitting out there like that? The bar's open this time of day? I was like, shh, what's happening? These thoughts. Now, we still are responsible for that next decision. But do you realize how much more effective he is if we forget that he's back there? Like, you know, hey, a little bit later today when nobody's looking, why don't you go ahead and take that extra cash in the till? I was thinking about that. Yeah, I could, wait a minute. That wasn't my idea. Uh, hey, you know what, though, Mike? Popped in your head, didn't it? Popped right in your head. So you can't be all that spiritual. Wait. You're in my head. Guess what? The flesh, when he talks, he sounds just like you. Your voice, your inflection. In fact, he's in there. He knows all the little buttons to push. He goes, seriously, come on. I mean, right? You've been, right? He's got this inside track. That's what Paul's describing here, which is why he says in verse 24, what a wretched man that I am. If you're a believer in Jesus and you don't know what he's describing, I would love to talk to you. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Where does he put the blame? His soul was born of God. And yet, this sin is so embedded in him, and it's so easy for him to choose the other. Which is why he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Summary. So then, I find I, find I myself in my mind... I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. Chain me to the Torah. Please, come on, God. But in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. There's a couple things that I want to highlight from this, and then we're going to go. Mostly because most of you think I can't end quite this early, and I want to prove you wrong. As soon as you say, I can't, I want to. Romans 8. You know what's nice is Romans 8 comes right after Romans 7. <laughs> Who's going to deliver me? I find this law. I'm a slave to God, but I'm a slave to sin. Therefore, there is now not much condemnation, a reasonable amount of condemnation, an appropriate amount of condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, you can understand why. The guy in the back seat, he is just useless. Nothing but trouble. Some of you work with a person like that, but we won't go there today. Powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now what Paul says is, first of all, well, let's, let's summarize. A couple of important points before we go. Number one, if you are going to have greater success in this process, in this Christian life, there's some things that you should know. All of us have to know. Number one is we need to know who we are in Christ. I don't know how many of those verses you need to memorize. 
You need to write them in postcards, tape them to your, your car and to your mirror. You, whatever it takes for you to be reminded, not every day, every hour, who you are in Christ. You love God's law. You love him. You want to obey him and serve him. That's you. That is who you are if you've trusted Christ. Yeah, well, how do I explain the other? Uh, hang on. You are not your flesh. It's along for the ride, but that, and, and I'm not saying, this isn't like psychobabble heel. This is how Jesus describes you. You are not your flesh. It is right there. It does talk right in your ear. It is easy to forget who is who. In fact, those two voices are indistinguishable. You won't know who's talking except by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. When he starts spouting out stuff that does not line up with the Word, then you know who's talking. Shush! 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 Hana, na, 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 Right? You do your whole Christian, hana, na, The Lord, yay, mighty to save, mighty to save. Don't be unaware of these tricks. Now, you, you realize what this next week's going to be like, right? It is going to be hellacious. Because that's what happens when we get new information. You're going to see it everywhere. Yay. Don't be unaware of his tricks. You're going to hear like, ah, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who is that? Who's talking? Who was that? Oh, and, and guess what? You say, okay, I, I even know that somebody's talking. I'm just not sure. I, I still don't know who's who. But remember this. You're not going to be sinless. It is possible, however, to sin less. If you are trying to be sinless, you're following the wrong Savior. But if your desire is to simply sin less, He's for you. I hate this stuff. makes me feel terrible. I don't want to do it. Help me figure it out. Be aware of those tricks. Be aware of the buttons that get pushed. There's certain things that don't bother me. You, whatever. And other things that just rattle me. Those are my things, my issues. My flesh knows about them too. The more I understand what pushes my buttons and why, the more I can be aware of his tricks. But here's the other problem. It would be wrong for us to leave and, and, and get the impression that now that we know this, all we have to do is apply this and we'll be fine. What did Paul say? He continued to fail. I know this is not exactly what you want to hear at church, but despite everything that you just learned, you're still going to fail. My goal is just to fail at something different rather than the same thing. Just mess, something else up, mess up something that's new rather than the same old thing. You're still going to fail. And yet, wait, that actually isn't necessarily a problem. Because you see, always failing means we are always going to have to be dependent on Jesus. We never thought that we could earn our way to heaven. We're also not going to be able to live this life in a way that honors him. Only he can. So here's the challenge for us today. There's a reason why you've been experiencing the schizophrenia that you've been experiencing. And it is possible be to become more and more aware of that battle and to respond appropriately. 
But instead of not sinning, you'll simply move on to new sins, which ought to still keep you right next to Jesus because only he can deliver us. Thanks be to God. Only Jesus delivers us. Let's pray. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, what a shame for you not to catch the very beginning of this amazing story. You see, God is perfect. We are sinners. The cost, the payment, the penalty for sin is death. Jesus came and died in our place, and he offers now eternal life, which he purchased with his blood. He offers it as a gift. We receive it by faith. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I know I'm a sinner. I could never do it, take care of it myself. You did it for me. I'm trusting you as my Savior. If you've never made that decision, it starts there. But I will warn you, once you become a believer, then you start to have this schizophrenic battle. Unbelievers don't have this. Sister, brother in Christ, if you've been tempted to think that eventually you're going to get to some place where you can put it on cruise control, I should have all this worked out by now. Why would you want to have it worked out and not have to see Jesus every day? And yet, in the midst of that, it is possible to understand what's going on, to know the tricks of that enemy so that you could not be sinless, but certainly sin less. And regardless of how we do performance-wise, isn't it good to know that he sees us as his children, perfect, blameless, holy? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you saved us. You put us, gave us this new person, new creation. Your spirit abides in us. And we just want to say that we have experienced this tug of war, this struggle. We love you and we love your law. Would you show us how we can be obedient, how we can find the freedom that you promised. And in that joy, bring you glory and share your gospel with others. Make it so for your namesake. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.